Welcome to Conversation Pace. I'm your host, Brian Rossetti. Lately, we've been interviewing top athletes on our app. Ron Lowen was one of the top mileage athletes on Beat Auto 2 in 2021. He ended up averaging close to 95 miles per week for the entire year. We discuss how he got into running and his transition to high volume. He's been a high mileage runner for a while now. He's never had a stress fraction. You'll see in this episode how having a personal training background and expertise in biomechanics comes in handy. You can connect with Ron on Instagram and be his coaching group, Gritty Run Club, a group based out of Langley, British Columbia. Check out the links in the episode profile. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I'm really excited to, to chat with you about all things running. <laughs> so you're calling in from where? Right now I'm in a city called Langley. It's about 40 minutes outside of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So I'm just north of north of the border for you guys. Yeah, of course. Um, love Vancouver. Spent a, a little time there many years ago actually racing at... Um, I think it was in Victoria and then at Harry Jerome many years ago. Oh, um, very cool. So you, you did track at uh, Harry Jerome? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Were you, were you doing like the 815? What were you, what were you racing? 15. It was not a fond memory. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was of the, you know, the whole experience was fantastic and getting, I love the Pacific Northwest and so I was in Seattle before and and then took the ferry up to Victoria. Oh, yeah, that's a nice ferry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. And um, went from Victoria to, to Vancouver and just getting carted around with the elite athletes. And um, the experience was really cool. But I was coming off of um, a stress fracture. So we sort of experimented. I guess it's an interesting you know, topic, not to uh, dwell on my experience, but um, <laughs> the... I was literally in the pool for like 10 weeks. I had a sacral stress fracture and really just cross training like an animal. And um, (laughs) it was unfortunate timing. It was, you know, I was hurt through most of outdoor track. And then my coach literally threw, I think it was a week of running. And then he's like, you're going to rabbit an 800. In Atlanta, I was like, "What?" He's like, "I mean, hey, this we might as well. The season's, you know, we're running out of time. Let's let's see what all that pool work did." And um, so I wrapped yeah. it at 800, and then basically went out west to try and kind of race into shape, and it did not go well. So yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Long story short. Um, so anyway, that's that was my experience, but beautiful, 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 and. Um, how long have you been in that area? Oh, I've been in Langley for maybe maybe five or six years now. It's it's a bit quieter than Vancouver. Like you you visited Vancouver, it's a busy, bustling city. And out here in Langley, we have like empty farm roads. We got the Fort to Fort Trail, which is ten kilometers. It's gravel trail. You've got uh, some like hilly horse trails in South Langley called Campbell Valley. So we've got a quieter kind of area to train. A lot of our elite Vancouver marathoners will actually come out to Langley to do their, their longer reps. There's no traffic, just empty roads and just quiet space. So it's a good spot for um, some decent marathon blocks out here in the, in the Fraser Valley. We um, were close and been friends and um, 
colleagues for a bit with um, Melinda Elmore, who's in Kelowna. How far is Kelowna from you? Oh, Kelowna's maybe a four, four and a half hour drive. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, Melinda, she's um, she's the coach at uh, UBC, isn't she? North or Okanagan? Yeah, that's yeah. I think that's fairly recent, but um, she, I always love the the photos she posts from Kelowna. It just looks incredible. Yeah. No, she's a Kelowna is a beautiful city for sure. I used to bust her because she was like, "Oh, it's like the wine country, you know, for of Canada." And I was like, "Wine country, Canada? What are you?" What are you talking about? Like you always say, <laughs> he's like, what do you think? It's just all snow and, and ice up here, you know, to you guys. You know? Yeah, they just, got, they just got indoor plumbing up there, I heard. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so where are you from originally? Uh, I was born in Vancouver, but um, I wasn't raised in Vancouver. So when I was born, my parents moved to Southeast Asia. They were They were missionaries, so I was all over the place in uh, in Asia, like the Philippines, Indonesia. So my first language was in English, which is really weird for a Canadian to not know English. So I moved back here when I was five and I spoke some some weird island dialect that my nanny spoke around me and I was quite fluent in it. So I came back here to, to Vancouver and didn't know a word of English. So I had to take uh, English as a second language when I was five years old and it kind of went from there. So I moved back here and I've been here ever since. Wow, how much of a, <clears throat> excuse me, how much of a challenge was it learning at five or were you still able to absorb it easier than an adult when they're trying to learn a new language? Um, I guess it was relatively easy because I had nothing else to compare it to. I mean, like as a kid, when you move back here, you're immersed in English. It's kind of, you know, mm. it's, it comes quite naturally because everyone's speaking English. You have no choice but to speak English. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think it was too challenging, but interesting. We're actually translating the the VDOC calculator right now into different languages. Um, I think we're up to we're up to ten. We're uploading Italian and Russian, um, a couple other languages. So maybe we could talk. We could get a new language in there. Oh, I'm not fluent in that in that old language anymore. I only speak English. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many users we'll have in that dialect, but yeah, um, it's like it's like a rare Filipino island dialect. There's only maybe a few thousand people who speak it. So, <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, Jack would be excited. He he wants to translate in every language that, that we can. Um, nice. That's funny. <laughs> uh, so, how did you get into to running? Well, I got into running at an early age. My dad, um, he was like an ex professional cyclist, and on the in the tail end of his career, he kind of took up running and he would take me out for these runs at like six or seven o'clock in the morning i was maybe seven years old and uh basically i'd be hanging on like he was running through the forest i started off on my bike trying to keep up to his pace and eventually i i got up to his easy pace and i was just dying the whole way um but um i quit running after that shortly because my dad left and it uh it was just really emotional for me to to run so i just like i left it mm. um but i always kind of saw the value in in aerobic work because it helped me in all my sports like i wasn't the most skilled athlete growing up but i was the best aerobically conditioned athlete and i realized that i had this huge advantage over everyone because i played soccer and basketball 
And basically, I was able to outrun people. I'm not sure, Brian, if you're familiar with basketball, but essentially what would happen is I would full court press the entire game <laughs> and just wear the other guards out into submission. And I loved it. That's um, awesome. So I've always kind of had that competitive uh, drive just to break people. And I think that's why later on when I came back to running, I realized how important that was for me to to just compete again. Um, that's great. No, I'm basketball was my my favorite sport growing up. Oh, and, perfect. And then I realized <laughs> then I realized um, that I was you know more competitive and uh, able to win races and, and running, and that's what kind of pulled me away. And my focus just kind of um, gravitated more to, to running at that point. Um, I still love basketball though. I could sit and shoot all day. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So that's great. I mean, did you have any favorite players? Like, who was your inspiration growing up? Oh, I was a big MJ and Kobe fan. Like, I grew up watching the Lakers three peep. So that's when they won back to back to back championships. Like, Kobe and Shaq, Robert Ory, Derek Fisher, like, those, those guys are the guys that I watched. So that yeah, was, like, yeah, it's funny, the different eras, because it's like, um, you know, there's to me, there's no question that that Jordan is the greatest. And yeah, yeah. then I talked to my nephew and he looks at me like I'm insane because he yeah. he grew up like a, in LeBron era. So oh, okay. yeah, that's yeah. just like, wait, what? You know, he's like, who? <laughs> not who, yeah. but <laughs> Wait, like it's not even a consideration to him. Yeah. So, and I'm sure, like my dad's era, uh, he'd probably say Jordan, but like at the time, it was probably like Wilt or you know, like Kareem. Oh yeah. You know, like, talk about um, athletes like Wilt and and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. What athletes? Like Wilt was what seven foot two. Yeah, and I think most people don't realize like how strong he was. Like, yeah. Yeah. Said like freakishly strong, even though you wouldn't necessarily think that he's just a big guy but um yeah watch there's a cool documentary on wilt there's a lot of cool stories and if you get go down the youtube you know rabbit hole um really just incredible athlete i don't think as skilled as like kareem but just like incredible like freakishly you know incredible kind of like lebron you know i see him as like just it's more physical for him as dominance you know um yeah he's definitely got more of a physical presence for sure yeah yeah so anyway i could we could do a whole podcast on (laughs) basketball (laughs) i'd love to do that but we could see our listeners abandoning the episode yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) um so where were we so unfortunate to hear about your dad it's interesting so he, he got you into it it was sort of the association, I guess, or were you not really into it? It was just that he was forcing you and then you kind of came back to it or you, you feel like you naturally sort of gravitated towards the running in general. Well, he definitely got me into it, but similar to you, I realized that it was something I was good at and I didn't take it very seriously, but I always kind of knew in the back of my head that, you know, I'm pretty durable here. Like I'm, I'm doing a couple of miles after school for fun and no one else is there. Wow. Okay. And it was, and that was when it was hard for me because at that time when he left, I think I was 10 years old and like when you're 10, and you do activities that remind you of a parent, it gets really difficult to do it. Uh, 
So the fact that I was still doing it says like I probably enjoyed it a lot. But um, yeah, I took I took soccer and basketball way more seriously. I played high school basketball every single year and realized I wasn't going to grow anymore. So I'm I'm five foot nine. So if I was six foot nine, we'd probably be talking about basketball right now. But I'm not. So I realized, you know, I'm not really going over this basketball thing. And I went back to running when I was 23 or 24. And uh, I just realized how much I enjoyed the sport and just just hurting and training and, and the social aspect of it. And I just so, I, and it was so sorry, it was so difficult and humbling. Like I realized I went my whole athletic career being really good at sports and, and being at the dominant end uh, when, it come, when it came to athleticism. And I came to this sport of running and I just wasn't that good. Like when I was 24, I was five foot nine, 186 pounds and maybe 6% body fat. So I was a big guy like coming off the basketball season. <clears throat> so I just found it so difficult and humbling to be at practice and not be like near the front of the pack. And I loved it. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I want to get better at this thing and I want to see where it goes. And I took it seriously from day one. It just kind of took off from there. That's great. What was that initial hook, you know, to get you in at that time? Is it just a race that you wanted to, to prepare for? Or what? When I was 23, there was a big pivot in my life. Like I, I was just, stressing myself out from all ends i was in school i was working i was part-time in the Canadian forces and there was there was a day it was a tuesday morning when i was under a tight uh, deadline for a project and uh, i went through i needed something from the hr department like i was just going to their office to pick something up and i was pretty stressed and i opened up the double doors and i collapsed on the ground and the next thing i, I remember was just the paramedics there and then being in the ambulance, going to the hospital, and got like the ECG and all that stuff. And like, Ron, you had a stroke. And wow. I just remember thinking, I'm a healthy guy. Like I'm I'm playing basketball, I'm lifting weights, I'm running. Like, how is that, how is that possible? And the doctor says, Well, uh, it seems like you just had a stroke, just a stress-induced stroke, and you need to you need to consider some things in your life. So after that point, I I did this pivot where I left the military, left my job, got a new job that was way easier. I started working at the airport, just bringing in airplanes, super chill job. And uh, I started running like, you know what? I need to do something that's not as stressful. This running thing really calms me down. So I'll, uh, I'll start there. And I just started you know, doing maybe 40 to 50 kilometers a week, just super easy stuff, just getting out there into the, into the wilderness and just going for easy runs, enjoying it. And uh, I heard about this race. It's, uh, it's a big one in Vancouver. It's called the Vancouver Sun Run. And it's every April. And, uh, I, I had known about it because they get like maybe 30 or 40,000 people every year. And I thought, wow, what, uh, what a cool concept. Running 10 kilometers for time and trying to beat as many people as you can. That's right up my alley. Let's do it. <laughs> and uh, I started training for this thing. I think I bought some... Uh, some uh, running for dummies book from from the from the bookstore things nice. like a heart rate heart rate training guide or something but super i had no idea what i was doing i was so new and green to the sport and uh, i went through a cycle of that i think i ended up running the sun run in 37 minutes and i was thinking oh that's that's not too bad i'm pretty happy with myself 
And then I cross the finish line and I see like a bunch of bunch of guys eating the snacks already. So they've they've already finished the race, had enough time to walk and get snacks. And I'm just coming in like, how fast are these guys? Like, that's crazy. I see all these times, like 29 minutes, 30 minutes. Like, that is incredible. And from there, it just really, really motivated me to get better. Because I was thinking, well, if the top of human potential is like, what, 2630? Was that, is that what Bekele is running right now? Or um, something like that. that. Yeah, something like that. Um, or did that just get broke? And I, I should know this, but I... Bekele's his 10k was the highest VDOT ever, that 10k record. Um, yeah. So I have to look and just double check if that's because um, someone um, someone broke it last year because um, they had the super spikes on with the wave light technology. It wasn't Kajelcha, it wasn't uh, Borrega. Um, oh, I'll probably remember after this podcast to be honest, but I think they broke the 10 last year. Yeah, it's it's the um, it's. Uh, Cheptige or from Uganda. Oh, Cheptige, that's right. That's right. Cheptige was twenty six eleven. That is unreal. <laughs> Which is currently that's right. We have a post on it. Um, it's currently the highest V dot ever. Um, which is eighty five point five. Wow. Wonder, what's his uh, what's his threshold pace off of that V dot? <laughs> um, something crazy. Yeah, it's hard to even comprehend. It's 426. So wow. That is unreal. Nothing like doing some mile repeats at 426 with short rest. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> some cruise intervals. Oh, man. That's unbelievable. Um, so step back real quickly. The the stroke, were there any signs looking back at that point? I mean, there. you said you're a relatively young guy. You were athletic low body fat um was it's just purely stress related any signs leading up to that that you know you anyone would have seen um, no that's the thing there weren't um there weren't really any indicators that wow that would be the end result i guess looking back now and how much more i know about stress management um it was a pretty crazy schedule that i had going like i was working 40 hours a week for an electrical company. And then on Wednesday nights, I'd have military. And then from Fridays at seven to Sundays at seven, I was in military hall doing courses. And then I was training on top of that. So I was running, playing basketball, lifting weights. And it was like looking back now, it was a really stressful workload. And it's no surprise that something like that happened. You put some deadlines on top of that where people are just breathing down your neck to get things done. And, you know, it, uh, it makes sense why, why that would happen. And what was the recovery like? Was it a tough transition or did you really just, was it like a, it scared you and you really changed things or was it a struggle for a bit? Um, I don't remember being super difficult but i just remember changing a lot of things in my life like i left i left my job left the military and i got i was having lunch with a friend one day and he uh he was like a manager at the airport for american airlines and i was just telling him about what happened and he knew i was out of a job he said why don't you come to the airport like it's super chill all we do is a flight in the morning we have a break for about three hours do a flight in the afternoon one in the evening that's about it and I thought, man, that sounds great. I can definitely do that. 
And uh, it was just such a shift because I wasn't used to having windows of time just to no study or run or just take a nap. And it was it was such a different way of living, but it just really was a necessity because I didn't want to experience what had happened uh, a few months prior. So that that was really a, a big pivot point in my life where I just focused less on doing that nine to five grind and focus more on things I enjoyed. And I discovered running because of that, of that turning point. I rediscovered rally. That's great. I mean, I, I know just from training, right. When you cut back, you almost feel worse. You get anxious, right. When you're doing less of, of something or ironically with the pandemic, it was like, we made ourselves busy you know even though there were less people racing and sport people were still training right but um but the sport kind of was on pause for a bit a lot of cancellations and like as a business like i think we found ourselves trying to create more things to do like we almost made ourselves busier than you almost had to be like that's i always kind of regret stepping back you know like I think it's so hard to do that, to like pause or transition into, you're so used to being busy. Like I have to be doing something or else I'm not doing anything, you know? So I can imagine that transition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So talk, I mean, reason we reached out originally just to, just to be clear to everyone listening is as you were one of the uh, highest volume, I'll say athletes on the, on the app, um, I think it was 15th we, we had you ranked in terms of total running for the year. That was based on GPS that synced in. I don't know how accurate that was in terms of your log. Um, oh, you guys need to get the treadmill runs. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Um, so we were just over 6,000 kilometers for the year. And it looks like that's not including a decent amount of running. We'll talk about that. So that's, I mean, just for our listeners, that's roughly uh, just under 4,000 miles for the year, 73 miles per week over the course of an entire year or 118 kilometers per week. So how much do you think we're missing in there? Um, well, I usually run anywhere from 95 to 110 miles a week. Wow. So that's, uh, but we have, we have planned breaks in there. So that probably brings the average down. So every summer we'll take yeah. one to two weeks off completely just to kind of reset mentally. Um, and I think we'll take a week in December or around then just to recover. But, uh, yeah, it's maybe just 49 weeks at anywhere from 95 to 110 miles a week. Yeah, but then, of course, in track season, we cut it down for, for racing. But, yeah, it's probably around there somewhere. So closer to 4,500 miles for the year. Um, unbelievable. So why so many miles? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it all started with just self-experimentation. I wanted to see what the body could do in a week. I remember I was in Vernon, right by Kelowna pretty close to Kelowna where Melinda is. Mm-hmm. And I was on vacation for, I think, 10 days. And I was staying with some friends. So I didn't didn't have much to do except run and, and socialize. And so I thought, you know what, let's see, let's see what I can run here. 
And at that time, I was maybe running 80 kilometers a week. And, um, you know, I was feeling good. Like, I wasn't super fatigued from workouts. And I just, I just felt good all the time. And so I think I ran 120 kilometers that week. So maybe, what's that, 70, 70 miles? Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized, oh, I actually don't feel that much different from when I was doing, you know, 50 miles. And so I just kept kind of chasing that upper limit. It wasn't the smartest thing to do, and I wouldn't recommend this for anybody, but uh, I just kept trying to up it a little bit every week and see how the body responded and got up to maybe 150 kilometers a week. And I started to feel, okay, there's some, there's some pains and niggles here. I'll keep it around there. And uh, I just started hitting 130s to 150s for, for a long, long time. And eventually the body adapts and I just felt good again. It felt like I was doing those, those 80 kilometer weeks again. So I, I don't know. It's just such a weird thing. I realized that I had a certain durability for the sport and I just kept, kept rolling with it. So I didn't have any adverse effects. I just kept being consistent and nothing bad really happened. So I just thought, well, if nothing's happening at 150. I'll just stay there. <laughs> so self-coached, no, what was, um, the impetus is it just you finished that 10k for the most part, or you're early in your running career and you're wondering, okay, how do I get to the next level? Absolutely, I got to yeah. run more. Was that pretty much it, or any other guidance that you had? Oh, so at that at that race specifically, that at Vancouver Sun Run 10k. Remember mm-hmm. how I mentioned the people having snacks at the finish line. <laughs> Though, so they were wearing these blue singlets and they're a club called uh, VFAC, the Vancouver Falcons Athletics Club. And I remember seeing two gentlemen with those blue vests on who were ahead of me in that race. And I thought, man, those guys must be super fast if they're already having snacks by the time I finish. And so um, I looked up their club and I joined them a few weeks later. And they do all these great workouts in Stanley Park in Vancouver, which is that, that park right beside the city. It's a huge seawall loop about 10 kilometers around this uh this park with ocean views and mountains everywhere and um i started training with a group i realized the power of group training and having a coach overseeing your training because i feel like a lot of people who just do things on their own they 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 can't check their ego and they maybe take on workloads that are too hard for them or they think they can accomplish these things and they stick to a, a rigid schedule and aren't, aren't flexible in their approach. But I, I realized having group training and having a coach to change things for you and say, Ron, you're, you're doing too much or that tempo was too fast. It just really started to get the gears turning for not necessarily training harder, but training smarter. Um, and then from there, I, I kind of realized that there was a huge knowledge gap that I needed to close. And so that's when things really started to pick up and, and the improvement started happening is when I really tried to delve into the sport of running and just learn as much as I could about the sport. So I was, I was reading books. I was watching YouTube videos. I changed my mechanics from watching Kenyans run on YouTube because I was, uh, when I started, I was a, a mass appeal striker. And uh, I noticed that these, these Kenyan runners, they run a bit different. Like they're, they're landing on their hips. They're, not out in front of their center mass. And I was thinking, well, if they're running that fast, there's probably something to these mechanics. And so just based off of that, I started working on my mechanics, looking up uh, 
like sprint courses, doing sprint drills and mm. just working on landing underneath my hips and trying to mirror this, this mechanic that I saw from these Kenyan athletes. Took courses, chatted with my teammates, talked to my coach every chance I could about, about concepts. And that's really when, when things started to have an uptick in, in race, race time. I started getting better when I started to realize what good smart training really looked like, what a balanced week looked like, what these elite athletes were practicing in their daily routines. And once I, I learned that, I started to implement that myself, my own training, then it just took off from there. So if there's have, one, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, finish, finish your thought. So if there's one thing I would recommend is, is finding a group, or if you don't have access to a group, find a coach to, to oversee your training, who can see the big picture, because you might not have all the pieces as an individual to, to put together a comprehensive training plan that can optimize your ability level. So I think that having a coach is such a vital piece to um, just optimizing what you can achieve as, as a distance runner. Talk a little bit about biomechanics, because when you transitioned to higher running, it sounded like you had no serious problems while adapting to that, right? No, yeah, that's no, uh, no issues there. My, my biggest injuries came from um, improper loads in the weight room. Mm. So, you know, I, I've been raised in this, this basketball culture where you know, I'm not going to lie, you're going to see ego lifting in the gym when you're, when you're in a competitive basketball environment. Sure. The guys are just, oh, how much can you, how much can you bench? How much can you squat? What can you deadlift? And uh, I think I was just doing deadlifts one day and uh, I felt this, this, uh, this nerve pain down, shooting down the left part of my leg. And it went like almost down to my ankles. I'm like, oh, that's really weird. I should probably, probably cut it short. So I did. And I think for six months after that, I had the worst sciatic pain I've ever experienced every single morning. Uh, I can trace it back to that, that workout when I was doing two heavy deadlifts and did something to my L4, L5, whatever it was. And it was just pinching that sciatic nerve. So that was, that was a big injury that I learned from. And I think one of the things that makes me so consistent is that I've had these injuries that I know when these things are starting to manifest, I can just shut it down. I think when you're really new to the sport, you don't know what you can tolerate as in terms of um, like niggles or just tiny pains. Like I'm not telling anyone to, to run through pain, but I'm saying as runners, we kind of learn, Oh, that's, that's that pain again. I, I ran through that before. I'm probably okay. If I just back off and maybe drill some mobility and get more sleep, I'll probably be okay. I've run through that before. But uh, that's just something that I've learned that as you gain more knowledge in this sport, you kind of learn what is what is runnable and what you should really back off of. Yeah, no, of course. Do you think that your mechanics changed naturally? Like, was it more that you were trying to to really make that change? physically like force it in a way you said you were watching the videos or do you think it was already kind of happening as you were running more and um training at a higher level and maybe shifting your strength routine i'm just curious like how that transition developed and um <clears throat> to, to your foot strike and everything um you know it, it's take it 
it took a long time for me to get to the stride pattern I have now, mm -hmm. especially going from heel striking to, to midfoot. I was really toey when I first transitioned. And so I think someone pulled me aside and said, Ron, you need to get that heel down because you're loading your Achilles and calf so much. Like you need to, it's okay for your heel to kiss the ground after, after contact. And uh, I did something that I really focused on and something that I drill with my, uh, my soccer athletes is getting the heel down on, on foot strikes. If you think about the position, if you're, if you're sprinting, for example, and your heel is elevated, so you're on your toes, the musculature you're using is primarily your calves and your quads. Now, these muscles aren't responsible for hip extension. The glutes and the hamstrings are responsible for hip extension. So by getting the heel down, you're able to access the glute to properly extend the hip. And that's something that took me a long time to really realize just from experimenting with different stride patterns and tweaking things um, here and there. And it just, uh, it got reinforced when I started looking up this guy on YouTube. He's a Olympic rugby sprint coach. His name is uh, Les, Lester Spellman. And he's got these great short videos on, on sprint mechanics. And I came across one that just really dr drove home that point of getting the heel down. That's something that I've been practicing and trying to implement. I just couldn't put my finger on it. And he, he went over that, to that cue of getting your heel down on, on foot strikes. You let, yes, you're landing with you know, 80% of your weight on midfoot and forward, but you're also getting that heel down to access the glute into proper hip extension. And that's, uh, it's really hard to, to cue athletes to do that but once they get it you can just see the difference in their stride and their power of the back mm. did you did i see that you do have some kind of training or background in biomechanics or no yes so I, i've been personal training since i was 19 and i have a specialization in strength and conditioning and biomechanics and that comes from the certification i wanted to talk a little bit about the certifications in canada because i think for coaching that's a whole different ball game um compared to the, the states yeah yes yeah, so we have um i'm actually certified through american council on exercise so they're mm -hmm. an american-based certification personal training program um, so i do all my personal training certificates and ccs through them but we also have in canada what's called nccp so that's our level or our version of high-end coaching so you can have your level one level two level three level four and um, I find that their courses are quite comprehensive in their approach. They're really focused on long-term development and enjoyment in the sport. So I think um, with these NCCB courses in Canada, we're very focused on developing athletes from a young age and then making sure that they enjoy the sport after they are maybe competitive or competing at a high level. So that I've got um, some NCCB course under my belt there i'm a level one road running coach and i've also got my v dot uh, coaching cert which is a very informative and great course by the way um, <laughs> i read that book cover to cover multiple times and it seems every time i read it i pick up something that maybe didn't pick up before <laughs> so it's, it's just full of good information i would highly recommend reading that book multiple times well i appreciate that um so We'll talk a little bit about, I want to, before we move on, ability to handle this higher volume of training. It sounds like 
you've got that strength background, maybe then had to shift or tweak or adjust how you were building strength and maintaining it and also gearing it more towards running to support your running. Um, talk a little bit about that, what that routine looks like and other reasons you think that you can handle and stay consistent at such high volume over the course of the year. Excellent question. So, like I mentioned earlier, I started doing multi-directional movements in soccer and basketball from a young age, uh, weight-bearing exercise around 14, just after puberty. Um, so that goes a long way in terms of bone density and bone health. So I've never had a stress fracture, which you know, some people can't really believe, but it's true. I do regular weight-bearing exercise. Um, but what I do put an emphasis on in my daily routine is working on lower leg, feet and ankle um, strengthening exercises. So I'm working on uh, stronger feet, stronger ankles, because when you think about energy leaks, say you have um, one of those wooden pencils with the, the pink rubber eraser. Mm -hmm. Remember those from, from grade school? Now, sure. say you drop that pencil on a table with the eraser tip down, right? What happens? It bounces right back up, right? So we, we call that a pretty strong kinetic chain. Now, what would happen if we took that wooden number two pencil, broke it in half, and then taped it back together, and then dropped it on the eraser tip? It would buckle. And so that's what we refer to as an energy leak. And so my left ankle has something very similar to that, where it's just positioned in a way that I have a bigger energy leak on the left. So I constantly need to be on top of my drills to make sure that I've got stiff suspension in the lower leg. But that also ensures that I have strong feet and ankles. Like I'm doing this stuff daily. I'm getting exposure to um, extensive plyos, so like low level hops, nothing too, too strenuous, just that general exposure. So an example of that would be um, you should do jump rope for three minutes, making sure you change your directions, side to side rotations, maybe you're on one foot for a few hops, just getting that low level exposure because the tendons need to be loaded in that, in that manner uh, to strengthen. I do a lot of things like uh, heel drops. And one of my favorite exercises for, for strengthening the lower leg is an isometric. So what that looks like is you have your rear foot elevated on a bench. Say we're training the left leg in this case. So your right leg is elevated on a bench and your left foot is on a bumper plate. It's so like a weight plate with your heel hanging off the edge of it. So now the Achilles and calf is loaded and you're in this split squat position and you're holding dumbbells on both sides for anywhere from 30 to 45 seconds. And it's, it gets really challenging after about 30 seconds. And um, I find that this is a really great way to strengthen the tendons, ligaments, and get muscle recruitment with a low risk of injury. Because there's no moving parts here. You're just straight loading tendons mm -hmm. and ligaments. And so I've found that to be a really effective way of strengthening all these running specific muscles and not increasing the risk of injury um, and it's something we've used for a few years now we've had great success with now that's not the only thing we do like we we do transition from these isometric holds to to more plyometric based things later on in the season but that's where our base and foundational stuff really starts mm -hmm. is that isometric component how did you identify just to to maybe help listeners um you talked about the weakness on the left ankle, I believe that 
Was that through gait analysis that you sort of pinpointed or did it manifest, you know, in some way up the chain that you, you know, had to trace back? Um, just curious. Uh, that one was a pretty easy one. That was just a single leg hurdle hop test. So you have four hurdles okay. placed out in front of you, maybe four inches in height, six inches in height. And you'll just do like a, a one leg, like a cycle or hop over the hurdles. And you compare it to your other leg. So I realized that my right leg was way more responsive than my left, which is like, you'll, you'll pick up on this because I played years of basketball. So I would expect my left leg to be strong because I jump off my left for layups. So it, it was, it was kind of weird. Um, and I've also broken my right ankle, which is so bizarre. But for whatever reason, I noticed that during that single leg hurdle test, my left leg was just not as bouncy, not as responsive. And, uh, you know, I have consulted my physiotherapist and chiropractor, and I did get a, a, a gait analysis at one point. And they all said the same thing. Like, yeah, your left leg isn't as responsive. Mm. So taking that into consideration, I just started programming for myself and try to get my left to the same level as my right. And it's getting close, but it's, it's still not as responsive as my right. So it's, it's a work in progress for sure. Do you feel like there's been a shift? Maybe, I don't know. I don't know if I should say lately, but for a while it was like core, 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 you know, and everyone's doing like core, core, core and plank, plank, and unfortunately like static plank and things like that. But at least it was growing up for me, there was not much guidance on strength for runners. It was, you know, do push-ups, do sit-ups, um, you know, and there was no emphasis on, on on core strength um so i'm just curious like now you hear a little bit more like balance stability um are are we missing are people missing like this focus on the feet ankle um is it both but it but is it just i don't know i'm not really doing a good job asking the question but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Are we missing that? Like the feet, you know, like that is our foundation. Like you made that point. So true. Like people are just like throw shoes on their feet, you know, and they don't do anything for their ankles, but they're doing their planks. They're doing their <laughs> you know, squats and they're doing their, their, um, you know, the other core exercises that they might be doing. But um, so are we just missing that or do you feel like lately there's a trend towards that thinking? I'm just curious. I think it depends on what the athlete needs to do. And in most cases, they will have energy leaks at the, at the feet and lower leg. I'm a big fan of barefoot drills um, and just a little bit of barefoot running in general, change of direction barefoot. Um, I think that's a great way to reconnect with your feet because you get so many inputs just by running and walking on the grass. It's, it's really good for um, reinforcing good patterns. Cause if you get someone who's in these padded shoes and they heel strike all the time, like they're never going to know what, what a midfoot strike is, but you put them on the grass and barefoot, you know, there, there are chances, the chances are they're going to, you know, start mid striking pretty effectively because it, it hurts to land on your heel when you're barefoot. Like it's, it is hard to land on your heel when you're barefoot. That's yeah. A, I mean, I've had chronic calf issues for so long and um, especially as I'm, I'm becoming an older gentleman um, in my 40s and it seems to be happening 
more often. But ever since doing like single leg hops, you know, barefoot, that kind of stuff, I don't know if it's just loading, strengthening the Achilles more, but completely gone away. Um, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And it, that stuff's kind of new to me. Um, so anyway, just interested in, in learning more about um, that type of strengthening that approach. Um, so obviously coaching seems natural to you. You started, uh, you mentioned pretty early as a personal trainer and then got passionate about running. So talk a little bit more about the coaching you're doing Maybe what you've learned from athletes. I know that you're managing athletes, uh, some athletes on VDOT. And is this all through Gritty Run Club or is it just sort of private athletes? Uh, I've, I've got both both going on. So gotcha. Gritty, Gritty Run Club is something that uh, my partner, Sarah Ingalls, and I started in the middle of the pandemic. Because when I was part of VFAC of Vancouver, I was part of this great community of runners. And it got to the point where I would run down any street in Vancouver. And if I saw someone running, you know, I, I probably knew them and I'd say hello. Moving forward to Langley, like I'd run down the street, see a random person running, and I had no idea who they were. And me and Sarah kind of thought, you know what, let's change that. Let's start building a community. Because it was really needed in, in the time of, of COVID when everyone was isolated. And what we realized was people just need other people. And we just started this this running group off of a um, a really bad idea and that idea was this challenge called uh, the outrun ron challenge where basically we had teams of two to four people try to outrun my mileage for the month of january in 2021 2020 one of those 2021 i think anyways this thing got out of hand so in the running world we have this thing called doubling where you run in the morning Maybe you run at night. And uh, I remember the first week, there was a guy named Randy who was matching my mileage. In the first few days, he was matching the same mileage as me. And he had a team of three people. And me being the competitive person I was, I needed to up it. So I started doing triples. Wow. Every How are you guys tracking day. this and keeping score? So we were tracking it through Strava. Okay. And then every week, every Sunday, the team captain, there were eight teams. The team captain would um, collect the, the running data and um, send it to me. Then I would post it on a, a weekly leaderboard so we could see every team's weekly mileage and their total mileage for the competition. This competition was for the month of January, so four weeks. And that first week, I think we were around some, I was around 270 kilometers for that first week. And you know, it was it was perfect because it was in the middle of COVID. Nobody was working. Right. All I had to do was literally eat, run, and sleep, and I loved it. <laughs> it was great. That's awesome. But anyways, so, but long anybody, story short, yeah, um, the competition ended. I think I got third or fourth. Randy's team ended up winning it. Congratulations to them. And uh, oh, so the prize was I, I uh, the winning team got three hundred dollars, which is my which is my motivation for trying to win the competition. Um, so they got the 300 bones i got zero and then we started the club based off of that bad idea we're like you know what this was so much fun imagine if we had a group to train with and have these these fun social gatherings and practices with and that was the inception of gritty run club it was like a, a fun social atmosphere but also if they wanted serious coaching they could get it so we have a group for 
recreational runners who are training for you know local races. We also have athletes who are more competitive, who want to optimize their, their potential. These are more of the type A people who like to check the boxes. You know, it works out great for their schedule. So that's one side of Gritty Club. And the other side is um, like in-person mechanics courses. And we have a lot of high-performance soccer players and track athletes who are more gravitated towards that. Because recently I've noticed with, with, uh, with youth sports, it gets so competitive and they're all looking for an edge. Now, I don't necessarily agree with this approach. I think kids should be having fun. But when they're trying to make a team and they can't make a team because they're not fast enough, you know, then you start to see parents registering for, mm. for, for specialists. And that's kind of where this other part of the, of the coaching has come in is, well, I've got a good eye for, for mechanics and optimizing movement. And I really want to help these kids make these teams because you, you feel so invested and so interested in, in the progression of these young athletes because they're, they're so into it and they really want to make these teams and you just can't help but like, be bought into their process. So I really enjoy that aspect of, of coaching right now because they just want to be there and they're so enthusiastic about getting better and just you know, making that team. And that's something that is really gets me up in the morning, gets me excited. So that's the other part of the, uh, the the coaching thing. That's awesome. I was wondering where you were going to go with that. You said it created on a bad idea. Um, <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Well, it was the pandemic, right? That's, yeah. Uh, we were all doing crazy things. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's awesome. So it seems like it's going well. Anything, if you don't mind, um, anything you've learned from your athletes and, and also ways you think the app has kind of helped them in terms of training more effectively or keeping them motivated and be curious to hear? Oh, definitely. So what I've realized from taking on these athletes is that everyone is different. Everyone has different work capacities. Everyone has different knowledge of the sport and everyone has different life stresses. So what I do with, when I first have my initial conversation with an athlete is I open up the VDOT app and I make notes for like what this athlete needs. And I'm, I, can, I like the calendar because I can make notes for the different phases. So say, oh, we're doing this, uh, this base phase, here's a transition. And I put in the priorities for each phase. Like, oh, this is going to be a threshold focused block. We're doing thresholds and steady state and easy running, just build the engine. Here's a transition. Maybe we're doing hills. Maybe we're doing some rep work, what have you. But I like that I can see the big picture on the calendar and just see how it all flows together. But not only that, the athlete is now educated on what a proper cycle looks like. And I think that is really something special because not only are we giving good coaching to athletes, but we're teaching them what good training um, looks like. And I remember for me, that was such a a light bulb moment when I realized what the training looks like and what the protocols were, like I was hundred percent bought in, like, okay, I'm ready to do this. So the, the training app has really just helped me and athletes visualize what training looks like. And it's also great that they have the paces. So imagine trying to calculate all these paces for 20 athletes. <laughs> it takes you half a week, but it's so great because they can enter in their, their previous race time or their estimated fitness. And it gives them a range for easy days, gives them threshold, you know, it gives them marathon pace, all that good stuff, interval reps, what have you. 
and it uh, it just really helps educate them a little bit more on on these paces. And you also have access to these videos that explain the paces. So it's like it's foolproof, really. Mm. You got. I get this question all the time, Ron. What is threshold pace? <laughs> and I say, well, let's keep it simple. It's uh, you know a race, a, a pace you can race at for sixty minutes. And then some of the more technical people are like, well, what is it for heart rate? Well, it's this range, so like eighty percent of your max heart rate. And now people say, I don't know my max heart rate. And I say, watch the Jack Daniels video. <laughs> <laughs> he does a great job. But uh, yeah, I like I like. The other thing I like about the notes part of this app is I can give them specific notes, like specific descriptive notes for key workouts. So say um, giving them a threshold workout and I know what their threshold ranges are. I'll give them like a, a marathon pace and, and um, threshold sessions, maybe like 10 at marathon pace, 10 threshold, five marathon pace. If I know their heart rate values are 160 and 170 for, for MP and threshold, I'll put that in the notes so they can follow along. And it's um, it really helps them kind of see the the emphasis and the purpose of the session, which I think is so super important for buy-in. Um, oh, that's fantastic! I appreciate you sharing that. I like to encourage coaches to come up with like an onboarding template because you mentioned the threshold question, and um, oftentimes coaches, especially if you're working with a lot of athletes, you have to explain the same things over and over, and um, so doing a template that has notes and answers these questions. Like the first time they have a threshold, you know, you've got the video, you've got that explanation that sort of crystallizes it for them because it can come off as a little technical, a little, you know, I thought running was simple, you know, this is, <laughs> um, but Jack, you know, does such a good job of explaining it, like breaking it down, which is, he's the best at, you know, so. Absolutely, yeah. But that's fantastic. So, well, congrats on your success, man. We appreciate you sharing with us. Um, we'll make sure to include links so people can keep up with you. Hopefully, not try and run as many as much, you know, mileage. Um, we don't want anyone, you know, chasing after you. Oh yeah, please don't. <laughs> training. We don't want them pushing you too much too. But, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we'll we'll make sure that they can find you and um, please keep us posted on, on how your year goes. And again, appreciate you being on the show. Will do. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. It's been a pleasure to, to be chatting with you over this last hour. Thanks again. I've been over here.